Maybe you go for a Brendan Rodgers. Oh, behave yourself. Imagine, imagine Brendan goes and loses the first three games. Former Liverpool manager. No chance. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof with the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochford has never spoken to Jim McGinnis in his life. Welcome to Off The Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. We hope you're doing all right. So much to talk about from the football week as always. Ronaldo earning Man U an unlikely win against Villarreal. Liverpool producing a five-star performance in Porto. Messi's magic. Chelsea slipping up a couple of times. And Stephen Kenny naming a squad for the World Cup qualifier with Azerbaijan. Republic of Ireland and Liverpool legend Mark Lawrenson will join Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward between three and five for Football Saturday as we discuss all the big stories and bring you the latest goals from the Premier League. Topics such as the structure of the GA Football Championship, Jack O'Connor's return to Kerry, Irish Women's Rugby and the Ryder Cup will form the basis of our Saturday panel, round table from half one. That's with Alison Miller, Michael Verney and Shane Keegan. We'll also hear from Brian O'Driscoll on the new rugby season at about 2.45-3106. That's the number for your texts if you want to share your opinions with us. When it comes to sport, if you've got any questions as well for our guests during the show, you can also tweet us at Off The Ball. Don't forget as well, you can get all of our content, interviews, videos, podcasts, breaking news and plenty more on the OTB Sports app. Download it now for free in the App Store or in the Play Store. So let's start off with the stories of the day. Manchester United nil, Everton nil in the Premier League at Old Trafford. 32 minutes on the watch. Ronaldo and Pogba rested for Man U. So this is the Man U team. De Gea in goal. Juan Bissaka, Vindelov, of course. Maguire is injured. Varane and Shaw across the back with McTominay and Fred, the holders. Greenwood, Bruno Fernandes, Anthony Martial coming in today and Edinson Cavani leading the line for Man U. Usain Bolt there watching the game at Old Trafford. Everton, the same kind of formation, 4-4-1-1 with Jordan Pickford in goal. Godfrey, Mina, Keane and Dinia across the back. Townsend, Decore, Allen and Anthony Gordon. Gordon coming into the team today. Damari Gray and Salomon Rondon. A bit scrappy United. Martial had a chance early on, but no goal so far. And that one will keep an eye on it, of course, between now and half two. And then Mark Lawrence will react to it with the lads after three o'clock. Um, Chelsea, they play Southampton uh, this afternoon at three. And Thomas Tuchel insists the mood at the club is good despite back-to-back losses against Manchester City and Juventus in the last week. He says they're ready to bounce back. It's uh, always about reactions and talking about reactions and what we demand. We always demand the very best from us. Uh, no matter if we lost or won uh, before, nobody likes to lose in the opposite. We hate to lose. And, um, but uh, we looked it up. We lost against Arsenal and, and after that uh, in, in, in Wembley, uh, two matches also in last season. And then we came back strong against Leicester. You know, sometimes it's, it's like this. First of all, we need to respect also the quality, personality and, and, uh, of our opponents. And then it's about like, we're not also not really bad. And it's, it's not a long time ago that we played very, very good matches. Remember our first, second half, for example, in Tottenham. Then the cup game with 10 changes in the, in the starting lineup against the strong Aston Villa side, 
who won after that 1-0 in Old Trafford. This is not long ago. It just feels long ago because there are so many games in between, but it's not long ago. And I think we, we miss a little step from 90% to maybe 100%. It's not that we, we, are, um, we, we have to question ourselves deeply and, and start to doubt each other. It's, it's about stepping up, of course. It's about uh, improving. The games were very, very difficult, uh, very different from each other uh, into the extremes. Man City is about high pressing and ball possession. Juventus is about deep defending and no ball possession. So we played against the extremes and what we can predict is we play against another extreme team in high pressing now with Southampton. And the one thing that is the most important to to keep a clear head and be well prepared, and this is what we do. Thomas Tuchel there now. Big game at the bottom. Winless Burnley and Norwich facing off a turf moor three. Under pressure, Newcastle boss Steve Bruce hoping to guide his team to a first victory of the campaign at Wolves. Leeds also looking to take maximum points for the first time they host Watford. Will O'Callaghan is in studio with me. Will, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, John. How are you going? Good, good, thanks. And you've been watching a bit of this early game, Man U and Everton at Old Trafford? Yeah, kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, end-to-end stuff that we've had so far. Best chance of the first half going to Edison Cavani. A decent header, ball coming in from the left side of the box. Cavani would probably feel he should have done better, headed the ball into the ground. Pickford got down quite smartly on the wet surface to just flick it around the post. Best Everton chance fell to Rondon. Wasn't able to get his feet fixed, though, and you know, were just able to crowd in around him, and he wasn't able to get his shot away properly. It was an easy save for De Gea in the end. Man United have been on top. They've freshened up their team with five changes from midweek, including Cristiano Ronaldo who's on the bench. Paul Pogba also watching on currently. And you know, Mason Greenwood is a player who's out there trying to probably prove a bit of a point once again on Thursday, left out of the England squad, John, despite the good form that he's had at the start of this season and some of England's other forwards being injured. So he remains in the cold, but he's getting a chance to start on the right-hand side. United are kind of moving around quite a lot in their front line, though. It's Cavani just as a spearhead and the rest of the players are all kind of alternating positions but United would be happy enough with the way they've played in the first half hour or so but no goals to show But they need to do without Ronaldo and Pogba won't they? These are the kind of games you can't play them every game. Yeah and I think that was one of the criticisms that you would have had of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer over the last four fixtures is that he didn't freshen up the team uh, particularly after they'd lost a couple of games and you know he kind of stuck with the tried and tested and once again did the same against Villarreal not the best performance but when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo to dig you out of a hole they say it's always handy to be able to bring a gun to a knife fight you're probably bringing a bazooka when I, would, I wouldn't Ronaldo. know would you no I've never actually been involved in one but uh, I think Ronaldo is superior even to a gun when it comes to finishing uh, look but all credit again uh, this time around to Solskjaer making good substitutions because it's something he's been criticised about before people saw Fred and Lingard and watching the game there was almost like an audible sigh from the crowd at Old Trafford in the end Fred pushed them forward in the closing stages and it was Lingard's layoff which probably didn't get enough credit uh, for Ronaldo at the end of the game that led directly to the goal too so um, you know really good for this first half hour but they're going to have to put a chance away because Everton have been good this season if Everton win they go top of the table that's the start they've had under Rafa Benitez yeah, but they do de- miss Dominic Calvert-Lewin only one defeat to Villa away uh, Yeah, but they, they bounce back well against Norwich with the same team uh, tomorrow it's uh, Man City away to Liverpool so Pep Guardiola saying that Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp has motivated them to be better City one point behind the Reds going into the match that is live here and off the ball a commentary from Nathan Murphy and Kenny Cunningham can't wait for that one and Guardiola says he's improved due to that competition with the German. He helped me, or his teams, he helped me, his teams helped me to be a better manager. He put me another level to think about it, to to prove myself, what uh, I have to do to 
to be a better manager to with our teams uh, to try to to beat them and that is the reason why I am still in this business uh, a part of try to win the title is and there are some managers and Jurgen is one of them that make a challenge to to try to to do a step forward and uh and uh, I, I did it, or we did it in Germany and when we tried to face each other because in Barcelona we could not face them or face him. And here in England, like uh, we are many years together, so many, many competitions, so we face many times, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. And But I think every game was nice because both teams have the same idea. So go up there to try to score the goals, in a different ways, he absolutely quicker than us, but uh, in the same way to try to to try to win the games. Now, Shamrock Rovers remain nine points clear at the top of the League of Ireland Premier Division today. Danny Mandrew striking just before half time. They beat Derry City two one in Tala last night. Second place in Pats needed an injury time Alfie Lewis strike to make a one nil win at Drogheda. Finn Harps and Dundalk played out a two all draw in Ballybofey this evening. Sees Bohemians look to end a run of three matches without a win. They travel to bottom club Longford. Sligo Rovers entertain Waterford. Two title contenders can turn up the heat in the Women's National League and the leaders P-Man today. Shelburne can move within a point of the summit with a win at home to DLR Waves. Second place Wexford Youths host Galway and Athlone play Cork. West Brom missed out on the chance to extend their lead at the top of the championship last night. They were beaten 1-0 by Stoker up to third. Bournemouth can move to the top of the table with a win at home to Sheffield United later. At the moment in the early game it is Coventry nil, Fulham 1. Nottingham Forest go back back-to-back wins today under new boss Steve Cooper at Birmingham. Preston will look to extend their unbeaten run to seven games at QPR. There is a Lancashire derby between Blackpool and Blackburn. Hull City hosts Middlesbrough. Luton take on Huddersfield. Peterborough face Bristol City and it's Barnsley against Millwall. Hearts and Motherwell can both move to the top of the Scottish Premiership if only for 24 hours this afternoon. A victory for either when they face each other at Tynecastle would take them above Rangers and Hibs. Dundee go for their first win of the season at St Johnston. Ross County are also winless in the campaign travel to Dundee United and elsewhere Livingston host St Mirren. In rugby, Tom Daly scored a pair of tries as Connacht sealed their first win of the new United Rugby Championship last night. Andy Friendside notched a bonus point in a 34-7 win at home to the Bulls. 19-year-old scrum half Nathan Doak makes his first start for Ulster today away to Zebra, while Keith Earls is restored to the Munster starting 15 for their game with the Stormers at Thoman Park this evening. Joey Carberry starts at out half and Ireland legend Brian O'Driscoll says it could be a key autumn for him at club and international level. The reality is you're going to have to give Joey Carberry some game time. I, I think it would be so... Um, it would be foolish of of Andy Farrell if he put all his eggs into the Jonathan Sexton basket over the course of the next 15 months or however long it is she's nearly it's two years um, to, to the next um, World Cup so um, I think Joey Carberry you know all things being equal at the moment is the next in line um, and he's going to need to get some game time he, he needs some high end um, URC games he's obviously going to get uh, international rugby before he gets European rugby, but he just needs high caliber games where space is going to be squeezed and where we can see him growing into um, into that ten jersey all the more. He's still relatively young um, from from games from minutes played internationally and and time on field. Manchester United one, Everton nil, Old Trafford forty three minutes on the watch. Anthony Martial will.
He's looking streamlined, John. He's uh, shaved the head uh, for the start of the season and he'd moved over onto the left-hand side himself and Greenwood have been kind of switching around but it's a good move uh, from Manchester United. They eventually worked the ball over to the left wing. A few moments ago, Martial had nearly got in on that side, uh, picks up the ball about eight or nine yards out from goal on the inside the box. Good pass uh, from Bruno Fernandes to pick him out and he curls the ball first time past Pickford. It ends up going out in the middle of the goal but Martial has hit it so hard and it possibly even gets a slight deflection. I uh, can't really blame Pickford who was wrong-footed by the deflection. The goal will go to Martial though. It was on target before it took the nick. Manchester United 1-0. He had a lot of time. He did. Everton will be disappointed with the way they didn't shuffle over to be in a better position because that pass for Fernandez was on for quite some time. He waited it beautifully but Martial was in so much space when he picked up the ball. Uh, but all credit to Martial. The fact that he hit it first time uh, caught out the Everton defenders and the goalkeeper and uh, Martial back among the goals. Well that's why if you rest uh, Ronaldo and Pogba you need someone like Martial to step up which he has in that first half of their approaching half time there. Ronaldo cam at the moment as well John. Every time that one of the front three <laughs> uh, does something it's almost like remember when Sexton used to take kicks and O'Gara will be on the bench watching on and you've got a Gara cam <laughs> at the moment you're getting Cristiano cam anytime something happens in the uh, final third we'll sell a few more shirts and now Martial is limping as well so he might possibly have to come <laughs> off back to rugby now last year's Pro 14 winners Leinster take on the Dragons tomorrow James Ryan captaining the Blues for the first time he's looking forward to leading the side and he also discussed Andrew Porter's move to loose head prop I'm always trying to keep growing keep progressing my work in the set piece um, and then I suppose part of being any um you know, lock at this level. Uh, it's the nuts and bolts of that. The rook, carry, tackle. Um, you know, always looking to to keep getting better, to to keep uh, getting more dominant in those areas. If there's any man that can do it um, at this stage of his career, that can swap over to tight end, it's probably it's probably Keen Healy, isn't it? Um, there were probably a few te- teething issues in the first couple of weeks, but the last kind of. Last few sessions, he's he's really turned the corner, and I think that was his first scrum there when he came on um, on the weekend, and uh, you know we got a scrum penalty f- from it. So um, yeah, I, I think he's been really good at it, uh, and fair play to him being able to um, you know being up for for that at, at, at that stage of his career, um, and you know it's probably you know perhaps a little easier going from tight end to loose head for ports, um, but. Uh, He's taken to it like a duck to water as well, so it's good. Elsewhere in rugby, Saracens will be taken over by a consortium investors on a £32 million deal. South African World Cup winning captain Francois Pinar is among the group who will take a majority controlling stake. Nigel Ray, who's owned the club for 26 years, has retained a minority share. Chairman Neil Golden and Chief Executive Lucy Ray will remain in their roles. Haven't seen the South Africans yet, really, have we, in this United Rugby Championship, which was the whole point of the rebrand, wasn't it? Yeah, well, this isn't to Craig Ray, the South African journalist who was on Off the Ball during the week, and made the reasonable point that it could well be after Christmas before we see any great strength from the South African side so they were playing Curry Cup and are kind of mid-season also coming off the back of the Rainbow Cup and then the South African internationals who are still playing at home are currently away in international duty with the Rugby Championship most of the South African best players are all playing abroad anyway and then the hope would have been that the Bulls particularly on the back of winning the Curry Cup would have put up a big performance against Leinster at the Aviva and Leinster pretty much brushed them aside and that would be the concern that if they're going to be a bit weak in the first couple of months of the season how far back might the South African teams be before the Northern Hemisphere players start disappearing for November internationals and for the Six Nations after the new year 
Hmm, they could leave themselves with a lot of work to do and the results have been very unpromising. Again, you mentioned Connacht's win uh, last night. You know, you'd expect the South African teams are all going to struggle. Uh, even tonight, you'd think that Munster make it back-to-back wins against South African sides and these were the fixtures they were meant to come. They are meant to test Munster, test Leinster, test the top teams. Haven't seen that so far. Now, get it games-wise. Glenn Ryan will be appointed the new Kildare senior football manager. The former Lillywhite's captain will succeed Jack O'Connor who stepped down last month after two years in charge. He'll be assisted by Kildare legends Dermot Early, Anthony Rainbow and Johnny Doyle. A vast majority of inter-county footballers want to see the championship played in a four-division league format. That's one of two proposals before this month's special congress at Croke Park. The other would see provincial championships retained and certain counties switching provinces. And the former Kerry manager, Peter Keane, claims the players wanted him to stay. After his three-year term came to an end, he unsuccessfully reapplied for the job. Instead, Jack O'Connor, the former Kildare manager, will return for a third term. But Keane says the appointment is contrary to the wishes of the players the players will probably just move on because they players do people well, do move on they have to move on with a new management team coming in but it was an intriguing statement it was very well penned uh, to give a very strong impression that the players had given a strong mandate for Peter Keane and his management team to stay on if that consultation had happened with Kerry County Board it'll be intriguing to see what the executive will say that the motivation behind their decision was. Was it a feeling that, okay, the players may believe that this management team are right to carry on, but we feel very strongly, more so than the feedback we've got from the players, that Jack O'Connor is the better manager to come in? Were the players listened to, which is one of the questions that Peter Keane asked in his statement? Was it just a case of, all right, that's what you want, but we're going our direction? Or were there other things that were weighed up along the way? I feel bad for Peter Keane because... You know, he's in the middle of a process where he wants to stay on and there's an active seeking of a manager that takes place publicly by Kerry County Board when it seemed really clear that the preferred candidate was Jack O'Connor at that point. You would think it would have made more sense to sit down and give first option to Peter Keane as the outgoing manager and say, OK, we want to go in a different direction. We wish you well, shake hands and move on. It seemed weird that it continued on like it did. And even up until now, we haven't had a... You know, we thank Peter Keane for his service over the last few seasons and particularly what he did with the underage sides before that. And I can see why he feels a little bit slighted and maybe a little bit let down that he didn't get another year. Because he pointed out too, they've had two very unusual seasons with the pandemic. Lost by a point after extra time in the semi-final. Lost to a last-minute kick in the Munster Championship. That maybe he will feel that he deserved another year to try and improve on where they were. It's a, it's a very, very difficult one though, John. Well, his name should have been in any statement released by County Board if they're now open, opening a new process um, because it's an amateur sport. He was, was he still actively being considered at that point? Like only those who were on the management selection committee can really know how close they were to reappointing Peter Keane or not. Like it's fine if he's not involved if you think that there's a chance that he might be staying on. I think some people interpret it that way that perhaps Kerry would say you need to make change to your backroom team or we need to negotiate certain things around the ticket for next season. But it seemed clear as day from the minute that Jack O'Connor was gone in Kildare that it was set up for him to go back to Kerry for a third term. I've just never seen a, a, a managerial run come to an end and a, and a manager not named. Yeah. And uh, then it gives him the ability to take control of the narrative. It does. And that's the thing. Like He released effectively an independent statement. It wasn't even through Kerry County Board that he put the statement out yesterday. Um, but on, on the other hand, it is Kerry's right to do what they want to do. And also, there's only one currency that matters in Kerry, winning the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship. If you don't do that, you know, yeah, you're, I, you're liable to not be retained. And look, John, the devil is in the detail with the conversations that actually took place with Peter Keane, which we haven't heard. Like, Peter Keane has put out a statement there which has said, the players gave us 
endorsement to stay around for next year. But we don't know what happened in conversations between Peter Keane and Kerry County Board. I'm, I'm sure Peter Keane will do an interview at some point and maybe this will be teased out. Or similarly, Kerry County Board will probably speak once Jack O'Connor and his management team have been ratified. There'll be plenty of questions asked around Kerry. And it's, it's amazing, maybe it shows the prestige that Kerry football is held in, that across the country we're all debating the process of the Kerry County. Well, it's uh, interesting, Kildare, that uh, Kildare said, oh, we're not going for any insiders here, we're going full legends. Ooh, talk about, like, get the, <laughs> get the white tegral jerseys back out from the late 90s again, because we're getting the band back together here. Like, if you're a Kerry, f- or sorry, if you're a Kildare footballer, and you're interested in playing, these are the guys that the current squad would have idolised growing up, all put together into a super management team, almost like the Avengers have been put together in Kildare uh, to try and improve their fortunes. It's a big task for Glenn Ryan and the rest of the management team, though, because they're going into Division 1 for next year. Depending on what happens with Option 1, that might be a good thing, because you could be one of the top five in Division 1 and could qualify for the All-Ireland Series. That Division 1 status might prove more important than it even seemed uh, when they were promoted last year. And it would seem, John, based on all soundings and what we were told at OTB Sports, yesterday that there is an extremely strong backing among players for option B. Will that make any difference though at Congress? Not necessarily because 60% is what's required. Even if they lobby their county boards over the next two weeks ahead of the special Congress coming around it doesn't necessarily hold that what the players want is what county boards or provincial councils would want to vote for. Because if option B does come through, the provincials are effectively dead. Like if they become... A are they not already dead, apart from Ulster? They arguably are. But if they become a standalone competition in spring, their importance is reduced even more. So the provincial councils are going to be against this. You can guarantee to that. So how much does player power actually hold? Yeah, if they don't get 60% as either then the Super 8s or the qualifiers. Continues for one year and then they'll have to debate the structures again next year because next year is the last year of the what I use quote-unquote current championship structure. I think there's just too many independent republics in the GA. I think the provincial councils are very strong. Why would a provincial council want to dilute their power? They won't want to. But then again, will county boards vote against that? And particularly for the... Well, the county week- boards are going to make more money out of this if yeah. you've got seven games in the height of summer. Absolutely. And like Podge Collins, I thought, made a fair point for a lot of the teams who would be the so-called weaker counties, those especially who are in the bottom two tiers, that this actually represents a better option. Because if you win your division in three or four, you go directly into the All-Ireland Championship itself. If not, you go into the Talton Cup. But you've had meaningful fixtures on a round-robin basis in the middle of the summer. You still get to play your provincial championships earlier in the year. They just won't have any impact on the championship proper. It, it seems for players this is the perfect option. It's the nice blend of the two and also means the split season can be achieved as well. Also for the public as well, for the people that consume the games, that'll be more entertaining. Um, there'll be more excitement in the summer. It's a no-brainer. But a no-brainer and the GA don't always... Uh work in tandem yeah and look as a fan I hate the idea of option A this idea of creating a fourth well, mythical what, uh, eastern uh, province but like it's like Galway and Leinster and we can understand that in hurling but there's no such thing as a province see I think it's weird like say if I don't know Loud and Armagh end up in this eastern championship just to make up the numbers so that we can you know square the provinces off I don't think there's going to be any enjoyment taken from those counties playing in a fourth province, whether you call it the Leinster Championship or whatever they want to call it. I actually think the one thing that might trip this a little bit is that you've got three options effectively and one has to reach 60%. So like option A, option B or the mean. Do they stay with what they're doing already? I think this would be a lot less complicated if it was current structure, alternate structure, pick one or the other, whichever gets the most votes wins. I think that would probably be an easier way to get one across the line. Like there will be definitely some camps who will be option A, option B or want to stay. 
But will any of the three emerge as the 60% favourite? Something's got to change that the Leinster Championship in football is not fit for purpose anymore, for example. Um, or is the Munster Championship for a long time. Yeah, in, in, in golf, uh, we have now Daniel Gavins on 14 under par, the third round leader of the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship in Scotland. Uh, Shane Larry is up to 10 under par now, four under for his round through six holes. He's made a very good start. And John Murphy, who's only recently turned pro, he's an, uh, was from Kinsale in Cork, a young lad, uh, 22 years of age, nine under par. He's had a great week so far, John Murphy, who's had form there around the links uh, before at St. Andrews. And just to let you know as well that uh, the American golfer Bryson DeChambeau has been beaten in the finals of the Professional Longest Drive Association World Championship after making it through to the last eight. He reached a top distance of a 406 yards in Nevada, but his compatriot, Kyle Berkshire, took the win with a 422-yard drive. DeChambeau was the first full-time PGA Tour pro to take part in the challenge. One week on from a heavy defeat, this week's Golf Weekly episode is a Team Europe post-mortem. So what went wrong? Can they fix it? Peter Lowry's got one solution. Stop being so damn friendly. Can I uh, say something? Um, <laughs> Saturday Saturday evening or Friday evening, right? Yeah. Um, they've played shite, right? And they've lost. Yeah. Yeah. So let's turn it around. Let's say they're, they're all playing in a, in a tournament. 72 holes, whatever it may be. It's a major. They've played crap. Um. Most of them would have room service. Most of them would be kicking down the door, going home, kicking the cat, shouting at the wife, whatever it may be, right? They wouldn't be all pally and chummy and, and oh, don't worry, we're great. You know, tomorrow's going to be better. Um, uh, and this is what I don't get about the European team this, this week. They were all too friendly. You know, or they, were they all too friendly, or did they just keep saying how friendly they were? Well, they certainly portrayed us. Let's put it that yeah. way. Um, uh, on every media opportunity that they got, oh. that they had the greatest time, and these are my friends, and this is the best team ever, and this is the best thing. He's got your arses whipped. You know, like come on. That's what I would have said. You know what I mean? Like, you know, stop being so friendly to each other. You know, you should be in bad humor here. You should be kicking down doors. You should be fighting your way back if this was this important to you, rather than having a great time. Uh, all the caddies singing Sweet Caroline in, in on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. Come on, lads. You know what I mean? Get a bit pissed off and and, and, and get ready for tomorrow. But as Malachy Clerkin wrote in the Irish Times, and I thought it was like a very well observed uh, comment, was is that you have this, what is fundamentally an exhibition tournament, because, you know, it's an amateur tournament played by professionals. Um, and that the experience matters, the result is irrelevant. Yeah. In where? In the Ryder Cup. Like, ultimately, who cares who wins or loses? I mean, in as much as you, you want, you want the train to keep going. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't want to see... I, look, I was to, to be honest with you, when you look at it on Sunday evening, you're delighted to see the Americans giving it to the Europeans. Because it's been that way. It's been the other way around for quite some time. And there's been no dignity and it's, you know, pour drink into each other and everybody's delighted. Um, rather than, you know, actually think now they have to think about it and say, right, we've got hockey. 
what are we going to do about it? That was Golf Weekly. There's a full hour Ryder Cup chat plus more exclusive content over on their Patreon. Search otbsports.com forward slash Golf Weekly. You can sign up for €3.99 per month plus VAT. Good night for Off the Ball here at the Imro Radio Awards. Our own Joe Malloy, Crown Sports Broadcaster of the Year. Many congratulations, Joe. So well deserved. Owen Sheehan also picking up a bronze medal in that category. We also won the Sports Story of the Year for our coverage of the Gordon Elliott scandal, which is testament to the entire team here on air production digital and also from the Newstalk Parish. Congratulations to Kira Kelly. She won Speech Broadcaster of the Year. The Pat Kenny Show won Current Affairs Programme of the Year. She from Old Queen took home top prize for her series Moy Ross, The Forgotten Part of Limerick on the Pat Kenny Show. And Best Drama went to Dahi McMahon and Fred O'Connor for their Newstalk documentary Belong. Congratulations to everyone who won, was nominated, entered. A huge team effort. Will, you got to celebrate your successes in life. Oh yeah, look, it's uh, not a bad haul at all, is it? I think we can still say off the ball, critically acclaimed after the show, uh, given the awards that were picked up last night because we were bronze in the show. Uh, Joe wins broadcast the year, Won't she and also in the top three. Uh, which we've really dominated in recent years and then to win Sports Story I think was uh, very pleasing for everybody because a lot of work went in across the board on the Gordon Elliott story where we were really kind of setting the agenda around that in the aftermath of what happened and uh, you know congratulations to everyone who's involved great work by people like uh, Tom Malone and by Johnny Ward along the way it was really engrossing listening as we tried to balance the story I think in the couple of days after it happened and uh, delighted to see it's been recognised by the judges and it would be anything without the listeners so thank you uh, for listening and supporting us out there folks uh, Willow Callahan, thank you for the news round remember folks as you're binging on sport this weekend to pick out your best performance of the weekend whether it's a player manager or even the ref tune into OTB's Instagram page tomorrow evening Sunday leave your selection in the comments under our performance rankings post if your selection matches our topic live on Monday's OTB AM then you're in with a chance of winning a Gillette ProGlide Razor Skin Guard Shaving Gel and ProGlide Refill Blades Pack. Reminder, OTBAM's performance rankings all with thanks to Gillette. Good morning, start with Gillette, giving you the confidence to tackle the day ahead. After the break, we can't wait for the Saturday panel as we review the sporting week and chew the fat with Alison Miller, Michael Verney and Shane Keegan. Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk is back after this. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us 53106. We're streaming the conversation as well. Listen on News Talk, but also watch us on the Off the Ball digital and social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. It's Man United 1, Everton 0 in the Premier League. Anthony Martial with the goal, and they've just kicked off in the second half. This is the panel. We're going to review the sporting week between now and 2.35 with the former Irish rugby international Alison Miller, the Irish independent sports writer Michael Verney and the UEFA pro licence coach Shane Keegan. Alison, Michael and Shane, great to have you back on. Hi guys, how are you? Great to have you back on. We're going to start off, I think we'll throw in with a brigade of games to start and... Michael, this is a really important month for the GA Football Championship because the structure is going to be voted upon at Congress. Um, there are a couple of options later this month. A revamped provinces with uh, eight teams in four provinces and, and teams moving provinces. Status quo, uh, counties going into different provinces. Or another option which the GPA are believed to support overwhelmingly, a league championship um, with top five in Division 1, Division 2 winners and then winners of playoffs involving Division 2 and Division 3 and 4 reaching All-Ireland quarterfinals. But that sounds a bit convoluted, but effectively it's meaningful games in the summer at the height of the of the weather, seven games per division, a Charlton Cup, a, a secondary competition as well. Um, if both options fail to get 60% of votes of Congress, we'll be back to choosing between the Super 8s and the qualifiers. It's about the experience for both the players and the supporters. 
What's the mood music like at the moment, Michael, in terms of your reading of the tea leaves? Yeah, it's an interesting one, uh, John. And obviously the Congress was supposed to be last month. So I think it's only right and fair that it happens this month when there's more attention given to it. There's more conversation around it. There's more time uh, put into it. And I suppose there's more talk put into it as well. So we're, it's not till the 23rd of October. It's, well, it's three weeks today. So it's going to be, it's already been debated uh, fairly well over the last couple of weeks. And it's going to be debated even more. And I'm sure we'll hear more influential voices coming out over the next three weeks. But it's definitely getting the, the time that it deserves because, uh, you know, the potential changes could be uh, could be seismic to the championship. Um, the, the, you obviously mentioned the three options there. I think it's, it's probably a bit, uh, it's not ideal to have three, uh, three different plans that are all going to be voted on because no more than uh, if the if it was basically cut to two options uh, there's no percentages lost shall we say you need 60 percent for this to go through at special congress the fact that there's a, a third option here be it the status quo we'll just say we'll go with plan b and then there's the status quo and then there's obviously plan a there's the potential for you know 10 to 15 percent to be lost on one of those plans that you know if because there's three in the mix if there was two in the mix i think you know plan b in particular would probably have a better chance of going through there's definitely uh, a swell of support for plan b at the moment particularly coming from from players and obviously from the players body in the gpa as well plan b you would imagine uh, definitely serves the needs of players they will get meaningful games against you know opposition that are in a very very similar boat to themselves it's essentially you know division one two three and four of the league being put into championship and then you know if you perform well within your division you're getting a chance to go up against the big guns and there definitely seems to be a big appetite there amongst players uh, we all know there's usually not too much uniformity between the opinions and wants of players and those of uh, you know the board members that are actually going to make those decisions so it's going to be really interesting to see over the next couple of weeks you know uh, county reps lobbying their county board and um, whether many county I, I saw there was a, a straw poll in the examiner today of you know what the Ulster counties are going to do there you know there'll be a lot of big meetings and big decisions to be made over the next couple of weeks but to me plan b definitely looks like it, it caters for all I think the, the big thing is the question will be from provincial councils in particular you know are we going to lose our slice of the pie here? The provincials will be played uh, at an earlier stage, almost as a precursor to the championship. So I still think there'll be, you know, plenty of finances coming into the coffers of the provinces, but they will definitely, uh, it would seem anyway, be reluctant to let grow, get go of the grip that they have on the provinces at the moment. Isn't that the problem? Too much politics. Uh, Alison and Shane, you're both from Leash. You're, every single year, Dublin are winning Leinster in a in a cakewalk, and we 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 know the result of Leinster for 2022 already. So, Alison, as a GA fan, because I know your dad Bobby was heavily involved in the game, what's your preference? Like, it's hard when you look at the two different proposals. I think um, B looks good. Like, I'd be in favour of that. Like, there's a lot of problems with A, like asking counties to move provinces, kind of. Like what we love about the GA is the history of it. It can also hold us back, but I think there's there's problems there if you try to move um, different counties into different provinces. It devalues like the provincial, which you could argue is already devalued. But I don't think it would do anything to take away the one side of the nature of the games anyway. If you're just putting other counties, switching them around, which just means you have more meaningless games, people getting hammering. B looks good to me. I just think. Um, the provincial championship has been devalued but at the same time 
I don't know, I think the powers that be need to do something to keep it important. It would be more of a kind of a, by the look of it, a pre-season tournament doesn't have any impact. But the kind of question I'd want to, if it's going in kind of Division 1, 2, 3 and 4, what about the teams that finish like 6, 7 to 8 in Division 1? Are they potentially still better uh, capability-wise than some of the teams that might qualify into their rounds? that are in the lower divisions and then you kind of question whether you're getting the best teams out of that format so that's to me kind of what we're looking at um you know you look at the Leinster Championship and yeah and you know I remember going to the Leinster Championship the one Mead and Dublin a few years ago and I missed the first 10 minutes of the game which meant that I missed the most competitive 10 minutes of the game you know so um yeah, like what um, Michael said there about the three different proposals is is problematic. And I think often the people that you want to get the views of are the players and they often don't have probably the, enough say on what they want to do because their views are going to be very different to the people that decide in the end. Do we want a better product, Jane Keegan? And this is an opportunity, this option B, to get a better product, I view, in my view. 100% Jerry, yeah. Um, to me, proposal B looked a, a no-brainer from the off and I, I was delighted this week when I heard that the, the GPA were coming out and, and, and backing it. Um, it just it just makes complete and utter sense. I suppose like the, the point Alison touched on there is is, is well made and I, I suppose that is something that some people might have in the back of their heads going into this, going, well, hold on, how... How is this fair that teams in, in divisions below are going to end up in the latter stages compared to some Division 1 teams who finished 6th, 7th? The counter-argument to that is, okay, they might qualify for the next round of it. They're not going to win it, Jedi. Like, no, I'm telling you now, I well, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I, I can't see any team outside of Division 1 winning this. And I think the first step for any team who wants to win it is to get themselves into Division 1. Because that's where you're going to get steeled for for a proper championship uh, run at a championship. That's where you're going to be playing your your tough games that are going to get you up to the level. So yeah, it's a tougher path in some respects, but that's just a tougher path to the next round. If you're looking at going all the way, then getting yourself into Division One is is 100% the place to be. The players um they have to be listened to, JD. Why? Why? No, I, I was going to say why wouldn't they be? We all know why they wouldn't be, but it's madness that they wouldn't be. I mean, what? What other hidden agenda could the players have here other than trying to create a format that they believe is most fair and equitable for all involved? Like They have no hidden agenda here. They're just trying to, to push the solution that they feel is best for the players. And, and like these, these decisions have to be start getting made in, in their interests. John, as well, as regards the counties, the, I think the counties will benefit massively from Plan B because you're, probably, you're going to have at least... Four, or you're going to have at least three and potentially four home games, home championship games. Imagine, you know, the crowds that will be at those games. Imagine the buzz will be at those games. Imagine the promotion that those games will offer. Uh, league games are great, and I love the league. It's so competitive. But just the time of the year, there's bound to be less bodies there. There's just going to be so many packed provincial venues for those home and away league games if Plan B goes through. And I think it's hugely exciting for county boards, and I think it's hugely exciting... Uh, way and time to promote the GA within those counties. So I think it's um I think there's a massive opportunity um if Plan B goes through. But as we kind of touched on there, um you know 
you know, the reality of what the players want and what the players will actually get, we've seen down through the years. How many times have we seen after various Congresses that decisions that look like no-brainers and that a lot of people were speaking for don't get the, the percentages that they need? So it's going to be, it's good that the GPA have come out as early as they have, um, you know, in previous previous Congresses and special Congresses, they've been maybe a bit late to the table. They're kind of early to the table and I'd expect a lot of influential voices to be coming out over the next couple of weeks in favour of Plan B. And obviously there's going to be some um, in favour of Plan A and Plan C and that's going to be interesting to hear all the different debates over the next couple of weeks. It's clearly the way forward, I think. Seven meaningful games in the summer. The league championship is actually the best structure but it doesn't have any meaning. If you're giving it meaning, then it opens up a completely new world of opportunity uh, for... Uh, lesser counties to have uh, lesser counties in terms of their maybe ability to challenge the top counties and not lesser in any other way Uh, but to have that ability to play in the summer to play meaningful games to have the support to have home and away games as you say Michael um, it's a no-brainer for me it's better what we have right now but it doesn't mean it's going to go through we talk about player power there Michael Verney uh, it's fascinating what Peter Keane came out with this statement. Uh, I'm just going to read part of it. Uh, he's not going to be the new Kerry manager. Uh, Jack O'Connor is going to be the new Kerry manager. Peter Keane served three years. Uh, this is the statement that was released yesterday. Unfortunately, losing the semi-final by a point in extra time to the eventual All-Ireland winners led to a decision to end the work we started and the momentum we built. I know the players very much wanted us to continue with our project. They were the reason I wanted to stay. We're a United Kerry team with a great sense of purpose and ambition. All the players communicated to the county board subcommittee their strong preference for the present management to be retained it's most disappointing their wishes do not appear to be considered in the decision making process the players are accredited to their families partners clubs and communities I wish them every success and in the future as they start out again so Jack O'Connor will be ratified on Monday I feel a bit sorry for Peter Keane because I've never seen his name mentioned in any Kerry uh, GA communique over the last month after three years of working as an amateur to do his best to win the All-Ireland but there's only one currency that matters in Kerry Michael and that's the All-Ireland title Yeah it's it's fascinating John uh, the ability uh, within the GA at board level in particular to shoot themselves in the foot like it was obvious, and I think I was on a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure if it was the pay-per-view or a Saturday show, saying like it was obvious from the outset that when essentially the job went for tender that Peter Keane was not going to be the manager for 2022. I think that much was obvious. His name wasn't even mentioned uh, in that statement that they released a couple of weeks ago, basically saying that they were going through a process to find a manager for 2022. Uh, surely to God, behind the scenes, if, if they at board level knew that they wanted to go in a dif- different direction, that a conversation is had with Peter Keane and they you know, outline their plans and outline what they want and he quietly steps aside and they thank him for his contributions over the last three years at senior level and previous to that at minor level and at development squad level. Whereas now, uh, and I kind of feel sorry for Peter as well, he felt the need to come out with a statement and he was right to come out with a statement because Kerry J haven't come out with a statement thanking him for his time and now it's a really interesting scenario when the next, you know, Kerry player is put up for interview. So they're going to be asked, like, you know, were you backing Peter for another year? And they're caught in a really awkward position because they're going to have to say, well, I would assume they're going to say, yes, we were backing Peter for another year. But then they also have to bat for Jack O'Connor, who's going to be the next manager in 2022. So, the, you know, and Peter maybe in, in a parting shot has kind of drop that kind of a bombshell that's for somebody else to deal with over the next couple of months. But it is going to be interesting to see over the next while that first kind of Kerry player interview, what they say. But it just, the, you know, the managers in particular, and I, I, I get really annoyed when, when players are cast aside maybe because of age as well. And there's no, you know, 
thanking from county board level. There's no thanking from chairman or anything like that. And they're just kind of cast aside. And it's the same with managers. You forget, you know, the dedication and time they've given to this role. Like Peter Keane is, you know, running a, a super value down in his, in his local village here in Kerry. He's a businessman. Like the last thing in many ways he needs is to be managing a senior inter-county team. He's doing that off his own bat. The least he needs or deserves when he steps aside is, you know, a, a pat on the back and a thanks for all your time. And then he just walks away quietly. Whereas I think Kerry G.A. have shot themselves in the foot in this regard. Yeah. And he was right not to he was right not to walk away quietly. And he was right to say it as he sees it. Alison, you grew up in this environment where there's a lot of managerial jobs and chopping and change and it's uh who'd be a manager? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't anyway. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like the players aren't being listened to here again. And I think if Kerry got over the line against Tyrone, like would this even be a conversation? Um, like they were so unlucky in that semi final. But I don't know. I think I'm not sure about this really. But there's a rumor that um, Paddy Talley, the defense coach from Tyrone, will be coming in with Jack O'Connor. And I think part of Kerry's problem, obviously, is their their defense. So I don't know if that was kind of um, for that five-man committee that, you know, wanted O'Connor, is that something that they, they looked at to try and, you know, improve Kerry's defence? Because it seems to be something that has let them down time and time again. I do feel sorry for Keane, though. He brought some of the most exciting footballers, you know, into into the four. And for Jack O'Connor now to return for his third stint, that's highly unusual as a manager. And it's been 10 years since he's been with Kerry. The game has changed astronomically since he's been in charge of Kerry obviously he did work good work with Kildare I don't know how well that would have went down there and you know like I know he put it out his interest out in a podcast and I think they were expecting him to you know I think it was seen that he was going to to do the third year running but um yeah look it's it's hard for any manager there's huge pressure you're you've got full-time jobs you're never going to keep anyone happy you're dealing with county boards you're dealing with committees you're dealing with all those pressures. But um, yeah, you would feel sorry for Keenan that the fact that he had to come out and make that statement. But it, what uh, Michael said now, what are, what is the next player, Kerry player in an interview going to say? Like they have to be obviously so they got to move on. They got to move on because they, they, yeah. they, their job now is to do it for Jack. That's, they that's do, the way. But like, you know, at the same time, if you're not being listened to and you were really happy with the setup and then you know, you do have to move on, get on with it. If you're not going to get on with it, you're not going to be there. But at the same time, you were happy with the way things were going and then you feel like you're not being listened to. So do you feel a bit devalued? I'm just looking here that Everton have scored in the in the, in the the Premier League. Well, we'll see what the players say. We, we haven't heard from them yet, but we'll, we'll see what they say when they are definitely put up for interview. Uh, but as Man United won, Everton won uh, here in the Premier League. And it is, I think it's Andros Townsend who's got the goal for the second week in a row, scored against Norwich last week. And uh, the Toffees have equalised at Old Trafford once again. Not 100% uh, smooth at Old Trafford at the moment for Man United. This was on a counter-attack, this goal. Um, just briefly, Shane Keegan, uh, Kildare have actually rectified their um, vacancy by appointing Glenn Ryan last night and the dream team of uh, Dermot Early and Anthony Rainbow and, and Johnny Doyle in there but look things move on quickly it's uh, I, I go, keep yeah. on going back to it like look, it's unfortunate for, for, for all concerned there'll be a lot of hurt there in Kerry Morris's girl for example a legend was in the backroom team there but the only thing that matters in Kerry is winning the All-Ireland it is, it is, Jiddy. And and I like I would have less of an issue with Kerry deciding that they needed to move on from, from Peter Keane. I'd have far more of an issue with nobody in Kerry seeming to be willing to stand in front of Peter Keane and tell him that that was the case. 
um, you know, this convoluted way of allowing him to reapply rather than, you know, just fronting up and saying, look, sorry, Peter, we're, we're, we're moving on. We, we don't see you as an option. Um, it's just a coward's way out of it, really, in, in, in my opinion, I suppose. And look, it showed how much how much he really wanted to stay going, that he was willing to swallow his pride and reapply when in his heart of hearts he must have known there was there was little to no chance of him actually getting if this was the process they were going to say. The only the only thing I would throw out as well, uh, Jenny, Brief, is right, I'm briefly. sure Peter Keane firmly believes that the players were behind him. But players will tell a manager to his face, we're behind you, and then maybe saying something else at county board level. So there's no guarantees that the players were necessarily 100% behind him. Well, we don't know every, if every player was or if every player wasn't. And a lot of, like, there's a lot of different opinions within squads, and squads are big. So we, we don't know. And like that, like, we, we may never know um, is, is, is what will happen. But after two o'clock, we're going to speak about women's rugby with Alison. We're going to speak about Frankie Dettori's brilliant week here at Bally's Town, the Ryder Cup. Did Europe not have an edge at all in this kind of thing? Was it just too nice? as they were saying on the, the Golf Weekly podcast and also speak about Manny Pacquiao's retirement on Off the Ball here. It's now Man United won, Everton won. That goal confirmed. Andros Townsend has equalised for the Toffees at Old Trafford. We're back after the news. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us five three one zero six or tweet us at Off the Ball. Manchester United won, Everton won in the Premier League. There is seventy four minutes on the watch. Ronaldo is on. Uh, United took the lead through Anthony Martial, but Andros Townsend on the break is equalised for the Toffees. United just not completely fluid and smooth at the moment early in the start in the new season. Uh, Coventry 4, Fulham 1 in the Championship and some good Irish displays in this Alfred Dunhill links. The, at the moment, Daniel Gavins of England leads on 14 under par through 11 holes of his third round. He's a shot in front of Danny Willett. But Shane Larry is now in a tie for third. Five under through eight at St Andrews to 11 under par. And John Murphy, who only recently turned pro from Kinsale in County Cork, 10 under par, John Murphy, having a great tournament and a great week this week. Uh, we're joined by Alison Miller, the former Irish Rugby International, Michael Verney, the Irish Independent Sports Writer, and the UEFA Pro Licence Coach, Shane Keegan. On the Saturday panel this week, we're reviewing the week, talking about all the sporting issues. You can watch us on the uh, digital and social channels for Periscope on Twitter, at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app, as well as listening on News Talk on your radio. And you can text us with any question or opinion to 53106. Alison, last week... I was thinking back to your career in the Grand Slam in 2013 and your try against New Zealand in 2014 at a World Cup and a semi-final appearance and I'm looking then at those uh, devastated figures on the pitch after the Scotland defeat and the Spain defeat that has failed to qualify the Irish women's rugby team for a World Cup. I suppose all I can ask is what the hell happened? What the hell happened? Good question. <laughs> we could answer that. Um, I suppose there's been a you know, a decline in the performance of the women's 15s team probably from around 2016 onwards. Um, this is definitely not about money or resources. A lot of people have come out and said, you know, you need to give them more money. I think this is the best supported Irish women's team in terms of training camps, in terms of support. So, unfortunately, the girls did not perform um, on the, I won't say weekend, it was over the course of a week or two, whatever it was. Um, they just didn't perform and why they didn't perform is the reason we're we're all trying to figure out. Um, there was obviously, you know, they would have went into this tournament as the favourites. Um, Ireland, this Irish team would not have been used to being favourites in any competition. They wouldn't go into the Six Nations as being favourites. But um, like when you look at the performance, there was, 
you know, funny decisions when you're in a, in an important game like Scotland, the chance to kick a penalty and you know tap and go, um, selection issues. You know, Claire Malloy not starting any of the games when you have a world class player like herself. Herself, just um, there was I suppose coaching issues. The line out malfunctioned from the start, the first game against Spain, all the way through to the last game against Scotland. Um, I think players looked off their game. They looked like they were lacking confidence. Um, they have had very little game time prior to this tournament. Um, their last game as a collective Irish team would have been the Six Nations. So all those factors would have definitely um, contributed to the players not looking the way they should have. They definitely should have qualified. I mean, there's no... People have talked about money and resources. Scotland do not have... A bigger player pool than our, than us, and we and um, Spain certainly don't. So, um, probably a big thing is the way the game is run here. From about 2015-16 on, the RFU decided to take sevens as being the priority. And I was a full-time sevens player myself. I love sevens. I have no problem with sevens. But I think we're in 15s country, and I think 15s now needs to be made priority. Anthony Eddy is the women's director and the director of Sevens Rugby. That is a huge remit for one person and he's coaching Sevens as well. So I think possibly there needs to be a separate women's rugby director and then maybe leave Anthony work on the Sevens. He's done a great job on forming the men and women's professional programs and brought the men to the Olympics. So uh, a lot of issues, but um, this first and foremost, very disappointed for the players. They've no doubt worked hard, but I think, uh, I think they have... They have themselves to blame for the performances, but they also don't shoulder all the blame for the way they're set up to succeed. It's an amateur game as well, Alison, and the AIL is important then in that regard to have a, a grassroots structure for the development strategically of the game here. And uh, Interpros might not be the answer, but the AIL seems to be important here in linking yeah. with the national team. Yeah, I think the thinking I think at the top is that the girls are better off in training camps every weekend rather than being released to play to play games, which to me is, you know, you could see there was uh, situations on the pitch where there, people didn't have game sense, game appreciation or tactical understanding, but they haven't been in those scenarios that often or they haven't been in them regularly enough. Like a lot of people complain about the AIL, but it's not of a good standard. Well, it would be of a good standard if all the players were released to play and the union worked on developing it and that it was the main way of developing our 15s players. Our back line at the weekend was formed of every player was had been a cap sevens player except for the scrum half. So if you are a 15s player out there, you're probably wondering how do you get into that uh, team or even the back row? How do you get into that team as being, being a full-time, if you're not a full-time sevens player? Because to be a full-time sevens player, you need to be not not to work essentially so the AIL certainly needs to be improved and I think the players obviously we had a problem leading into this which we didn't have a league because of COVID but I think certainly the players the Irish players I think would be no harm if they had been if the inch pros was brought forward a few weeks not even that much too far but and let those Irish players play because they certainly looked undercooked in their performances What were you getting right then seven, eight, nine years ago? I think uh, to be honest, like when you look back at the work that, say, Philip Doyle did, he, like when I think back about training camps, they were brutal, but they were, um, 
standards were so important. I mean, nothing, you like everything was picked up on. You weren't like no player would dare be late. Obviously, no player should ever be late. You know, standards, if you were giving away penalties in training, there would be repercussions. He did a lot of, he didn't get paid anyway, but he did a lot of skill sessions up and down the country. He had a small court of players, which probably we talk about that we don't have a huge playing pool, but he had a small cohort of players that were very loyal to each other. And that's playing for Ireland was the most important thing for all those players. So he managed to gel a group together in those years and work on improving that set of players each year. So that started way before my time even. I came in around 2009. But like him and other coaches have been working on developing players. I think what we saw in Adam, Adam Griggs' reign is we're going through a huge amount of players all the time, different combinations all the time. So instead of trying to improve the group you have, and then certainly bring in people if they're performing, we just seem to be so many different players coming in all the time. And we, it was always spoken about the team is in transition. I think there's a certain time you have to stop saying that because I think if you keep saying the team is in transition, that's an excuse. It's nearly an excuse to say, well, we're in transition. I think in our day, we just said we weren't good enough. <laughs> I think, you know, that was the difference. We just weren't good enough. Well, how do we get better? It wasn't, well, we're transitioning because what we heard about this team, well, they're in transition. They're in, when does the team stop becoming in transition? Surely when you're in a World Cup qualifier, you're not in transition. So he just worked on the small pool of players he had. He worked incredibly hard. He had very intelligent players. Um, which is Lynn Cantwell, Joy Neville, Fiona Coughlin. Fiona Coughlin was a, a brilliant captain. I think that really, really helped. But um, we know, I doubt that the whole thing was about standards, and you didn't get you didn't get away with anything. You didn't get away with an inch. You know, you didn't miss camps. You didn't miss training. It's just simple, old school, but it, it seemed to work. I'm not the biggest fan, Michael Verney, of the 24/7 news cycle, and. Uh instant headlines and instant sackings and uh, outrage culture and cancel culture and all that kind of thing but I suppose 10 years ago if we'd failed to qualify for the World Cup it wouldn't have been under as much of a spotlight as this is now and that's a good thing Michael I uh, know I think so yeah because everyone has to be held accountable like it just if it was to encourage people to read two pieces today on the, the women's rugby kind of saga at the moment it'd probably be Rory O'Connor's piece and in the Independent and Eve Briggs did a very good piece in the back of the Independent as well just one line from Rory there that you said uh, a week on, the RFU has begun the process of figuring out why Ireland, ever present at the tournament since 1994, semi-finalist in 2014 and host the last time the World Cup was held in 2017, finished third in the competition featuring Nations Day, beat regularly. So I think that's a fairly stark when you say that. And like over the next 18 months, uh, Irish women's rugby should be building up towards a World Cup. The anticipation around that, the media profile of the players, the effects that, ha- the, the effects that has on the next generation, uh, aspiring uh, young aspiring girls watching their their you know their heroes playing and getting all the exposure that goes with that. Whereas now they're just going it's just going to be blank really over the next kind of eighteen months. And you know aspiring young uh, women rugby players don't have anything to to look at, which I think is obviously that's going to be one of the byproducts of their failure to qualify. Um, and just a couple of lines from from Neve Briggs that I thought was interesting. She just said uh, she's comparing basically how uh, a men's international, how he gets his first couple of caps compared to how a, a woman would get her first couple of caps. So she just said a first men's international cap is usually earned on the back of years in school and provincial academies that have primed them for the professional game. 
They build through the levels, and if they're good enough, after getting a taste of URC and Champions Cup rugby, playing close to 20 games a season, they might get an opportunity with Ireland. Our women's internationals get to play three Interpro games every year. The next level down is the women's AAL. And if you're not already involved with the international setups or have been flagged as an outstanding underage talent, how do you get noticed if the games are passing the selectors by? So she talked about how uh, her international rugby career was finished, but that she thought she still had something to offer, but that there was nobody looking at her. I think it was in the 2018, 2019 campaign with UL Bohemians, but there was no one looking at her or seeing her or seeing whether she was still up to that level. And I just thought that was interesting. Uh, and she just talks about the review as well that the review needs to be more than just looking at this qualifying campaign. She said, now is not the time to be throwing around the pie in the sky notions of professionalism. We can't even start to consider such a leap until we address the foundations. From there, we can build. Can I just jump in on something Alison, yeah. that Mike has said? Because uh, one thing that, was, that wasn't done, the team of 2013-14, um, those people's faces were never used by the RFU to, to generate interest. So the likes of Link Cantwell, Who's uh, in South Africa at the moment now, by the way. Level. Sorry? She's in South Africa now. Yeah, she's the, like, there you go. Like, they headhunted her to run their women's program. So they were never used. Their success was never used to try and get more girls in the game. They retired, and those groups of players were never used for young players to look up to. And I think also what Michael said, that Neve had said she was playing in 2018 and no one was looking at you. And I know this from... I had the long route into rugby. I played. I started off in Port Leash, and we were the lowest division club in the country. And I was playing regularly, but there was never anyone looking. I went to Leinster trials, didn't get picked because I was probably, you know, in a really low division club. I played for Connacht and got seen through the Interpro. So I know there's more girls like me in these lower division clubs, especially in the country where you get really talented GA or soccer girls just taking up rugby for the fun. They do not realise how good they are sometimes, and I'd have to say to them like you're really good and you know the RFU will, will say oh we don't have huge player numbers but yet I never ever see anyone going around to these games looking for talent which would be a simple thing to do to ask someone to go down of any given weekend just to have a look at some players and that's to me I've said it so many times because that's where I came from and I know there's more out there I'm not the only one that came that route or that could come that route so um, unfortunately they've dropped the ball on that and I think when Anthony Eddy and New Sephora came from Australia to Ireland, I think they really hoped the sevens would take off. And I know the men qualified, but unfortunately, I think they've probably got the focus wrong. I think in this country, 15s is what people are interested in. That's why young girls go to rugby clubs. They have put all their eggs into the sevens basket. And unfortunately, we like even I played and I tried, we tried to qualify for Rio and it was really disappointing, but we haven't had huge success in the sevens either. So it's disappointing to see that the 15s has been neglected um, for the sevens and the sevens hasn't succeeded as well. It hasn't captured the public interest the way the guys thought it would. And I remember, you laugh this, I remember explaining to David Newsephora how the guys in my area, I'm from, you know, shout out to Arliss Colleen, they'd rather win a county final than an Olympic medal. And they could not understand that rationale. And I just thought that was kind of, you know, you have to kind of understand the Irish way as well, what you're coming into and what the Irish people are interested in. But sevens, it just, unfortunately, we haven't had the success. You really want to win an Olympic medal. And what's happening now, I think they're seeing, they're using the sevens games to feed into the 15s game. And then you see a lot of young players that have played all sevens through their 
18, 19, 20. They haven't played 15 since they were young and then they're they're put straight into the 15s game with little or no real game experience at that level and you can see that on the pitch. They're really good players and they could really be very good but I think there needs to be two separate programmes, have a separate sevens programme, have a separate 15s programme and if the sevens girls want to play 15s on the national team, I think we need all our players playing AIL and all our players playing Interpro so we can see who are the best players when they're playing against each other. When these players aren't playing against each other, when there's one in a professional camp and the others are playing IL and they're never playing against each other, how do you know who's the best players? You, you simply don't. Okay. Thanks uh, for that insight, uh, Alison. Just before we finish up here in the panel, just going to move on to a few of the other stories of the week. Shane Keegan, you're a big Manny Pacquiao fan. I was just looking through his uh, record as he retired this week. 62 wins and 72 bouts, uh, 12 world titles across eight weight divisions. Uh, he's going to run for president of the Philippines. I didn't see much of this lad now, I have to say, over the last two decades. But if you were going to give the um, Shane Keegan experienced the uninitiated of Manny Pacquiao's brilliance. What 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 was brilliant about him? Yeah, you you missed you missed out there, JD. I'll tell you because like the wonderful wonderful thing about Pacquiao, JD, was just the fact that he was willing to take on everybody and anybody, everybody and anybody. I mean, you look over kind of his golden period, I suppose, which is is probably the the noughties, maybe slightly into the the early part of the next decade and like anybody who was out there and it was it was I suppose it was a golden time really in that weight division as well but I mean he fought Morales three times uh Barrera twice Marquez three times Cotto uh De La Hoya and, and look I suppose the one regret is that by the time he eventually got to, to Floyd Mayweather he probably Mayweather had managed to duck him duck and die fighting him long enough that he was probably a little bit past his peak um I would have absolutely loved to have seen him against Mayweather at, at his peak and knocked the head off him all going well. Um, and it's, it's just such a pity that that didn't come around. But look, he, he was fighter of the decade during that period. I think the one that really sums it up in terms of what I'm, I'm saying in terms of take on every... He, de- he defeated 22 different world champions throughout his career. I mean, this there was no hiding place for this man. He, he took them on. And he, t- he, t- he t- obviously enough, when you're fighting of that standard... He took his few defeats. He didn't, you know, he, he he wasn't overly concerned about trying to have a flawless record. It wasn't about ducking and diving fights that might be a, be, be a little bit, you know, cute in that sense. It was just, let's take them all on. And if I come out on top, which he did the vast, vast majority of the time because he was just such an outstanding boxer, happy days. But if he didn't and he lost, no problem. You know, do you want a rematch? Let's go again, as was the case with Morales and a few more. Um, so, look, he was the, without, to my mind, the last 20, 30 years, you can... Maybe it's down to perception and the fact that I, I I just dislike Mayweather's personality so much. But for me, it's it's Pacquiao all the way as 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 the best that's been around over that period. Well, I'm looking at the BBC News here today, and I don't know if I get the name arrived from uh, the Philippine president Rodrigo Duterte. I think if that's the way you pronounce his name, he's not going to uh, run for president next year. He's going to retire from politics. Manny Pacquiao is running for president of the Philippines. Maybe he'll win. I came from an impoverished background. If we were like to see an Irish sports person run in the country and do a better job than the politicians in Leinster House, Michael Verney, who would you like to see run the country? Roy Keane? Or somebody from Offaly GAA? Yeah, Roy Keane would be interesting, <laughs> all right. Um, the two I, two, I was thinking of a joint presidency, Gary and Paul O'Donovan, um, <laughs> lo- love, loved by all, um, were guaranteed to be a bit cracked, we get loads of good sound bites, um, they're men of the people. 
they were the two that initially kind of sprung to mind. The others would be, Keane would be an interesting one, someone like Paul O'Connell as a, a leader as well. But I, I'd go for the two O'Donovans because uh, I think they would be, yeah, I think they'd be symbolic of what we are as a nation. Uh, as you said, we obviously like a bit of crack and we'll, we'll try hard and we'll put our hand to anything. Uh, Alison Miller, who would you like to see run the country from a sporting background? Oh, I'd have to, I'm a bit biased now, I have to say Lynn Cantwell, former Irish rugby great. Uh, she's obviously been headhunted by South Africa high performance. Um, she is unbelievable person. She would just, <laughs> she would make sure to change everything that's wrong. And obviously I looked up what the role of the president was. So I'm not going to say what she can change because apparently there aren't the roles. More of the prime minister, so more prime minister, Taoiseach, Taoiseach. <laughs> But uh, she definitely um, improved things for the better. And I wouldn't have, I know I won't say I won't have. <laughs> Shane Keegan, who would you want to see Prime Minister or Taoiseach? I'd go with one athlete and one coach. And athlete-wise, even though he had a bad week last week, I'd go with Parry Carrington. I just, I, I love the man. He talks common sense all the time. He leaves no stone unturned in, in trying to find the every every edge he possibly can. They're the qualities I'd like to see in, in somebody like that. Um, a, a guy I actually think could do it coming from a coaching background is is Gary Keegan. Um, everything the man touches turns to gold. Um, incredibly, incredibly analytical fella. And I, I actually think he'd be really, really suited to a role like that. Speaking of the Ryder Cup there, the more I've thought about this, folks, in the last week, I've kind of felt that Europe lacked an edge last week and there was so much emotion and so much enjoyment look they're not getting paid for it it is one of the weeks where it's a team sport but I felt that uh, they could have been a bit more invested in the edge of winning this Ryder Cup was a record defeat 19-9 I don't think Look, I think on paper, and I think the Americans uh, didn't get in their own way, did much better world ranking. The course is set up to suit them, Michael. But I felt that um, there was a lot of, oh, we had an amazing week, but you got beat by 10 points. Yeah, imagine a GA team coming out after a 20-point beating and saying, ah, but we were training brilliant, brilliant and there's great crack amongst the, the group or something like that. I don't think it would wash. Um, I suppose maybe, looking back and just listening to the comments earlier from the, the golf show, you maybe just would have expected maybe a few more chips on shoulders uh, and maybe uh, while they're you know talking about how great the group is and how invested they all are in it that you know we want to win and we will do anything to win and I think like to be fair the few people that you could see that in that you could really see it outwardly in would have been someone like Shane Lowry who showed how much it meant to him regardless of how far they were behind that that Saturday night um I'd never seen that like that it was that was a like yeah, the whole yeah no it was brilliant and that's the that's the team you're not going to see that as an individual because I I don't know maybe golf is such an individual sport people would almost see that as um if he did that in a you know the Alfred Dunhill links or whatever it is this weekend people would think he's been above his station but when you're part of a team He's trying to inspire others. He's not just inspiring himself. But definitely, I'd say people would have liked to see maybe a bit more of a chip on guys' shoulders. But in fairness, they're, they're, they're definitely going to have that for, for two years' time now because there's a record defeat, a record points tally for the US. And it definitely looks like the the uh, the power is in their corner anyway, just with regards to you know their average ranking, I think, was nine across their team, whereas York's was something like 30. So it would definitely, it definitely suggest that uh, the US are going to have the the strong a strong arm over the next couple of years, but now it's it's great. What do what do sports people like nothing more than having? It's like they have a point to prove now, and hopefully they'll come in with a chip on their shoulder on home side in two years' time. 
Yeah, it was so easy after nine uh, wins in 12. And look, you, you look at a result in, in da- very different ways. When Europe were winning Ryder Cups, it was all about the camaraderie. And it was all about the fact that they were such a great team and the Americans were uh, dysfunctional. So look, um, it's disappointing for Project Carrington. Uh, we were just going through Meads All-Star nominations, 14 of them. Won the intermediates, then won the senior. That is just fantastic for the uh, TG4 ladies, all Ireland, uh, all stars. Um, and we were thinking, I suppose, in the in the chat before the show, they've gone from intermediate to win senior. One of the great stories of the year, the best underdog stories in Irish sport. Alison, anything comes to your mind for me? For me, I'll be thinking like Munster and the All Blacks. Freewheel and Dylan won the Irish Grand National this year at 150 to 1. And even I would think that Michael Carruth and Ronnie Delaney, when they won Olympic gold, weren't expected to do so. Is there anything coming to mind for you? I can't really think of anything from Leash. <laughs> You're not here in 2003, John. You're not around 2003. Which Mick O'Dwyer. You, you expected to win Lancers, Mick O'Dwyer. Leash, Leash, Leash. When Claire Beck Kerry in the 92 Munster final, they hadn't won uh, a title since World War One, and they haven't won one since. So that stuck out to me. Um, Shane Larry winning the Irish Open as an amateur. And obviously, I'll have to pick our team when we bet New Zealand in the 2014 World Cup uh, to get to a semi-final. So there are my three. There's other examples um, of underdogs, but I even think, even though Kayla Taylor wasn't an underdog going into the Olympics, I think her whole story was a bit of an underdog getting the Olympics or getting women's boxing into the Olympics and, you know, going for it from an early age, like, you know, that she was destined to be an Olympic champion when there was no guarantees the sport would even be in the Olympics. And the fact that she was so world-class and was the reason it got into the Olympics is kind of an underdog story in a way. Like, she was obviously clear favourite, but the underdog to make it happen. Good choices. Good choices, Alison. Just to let you know, folks, Man United won Everton, won as a full-time from Old Trafford. Anthony Martial and Andros Townsend with the goals. What are your choices, uh, Shane, the best ever underdog moments in our sport? Yeah, look, I, I think Alison's team's win over, over New Zealand has to be right up there. She, she, she's she gone and nicked two of mine. I think I think the, the Shane Lowry one, again, I suppose it's in, it depends on what you're into and, and who you like to get behind, um, I think was a, was a big one as well. Like, if you're going really recent i mean if you I'm, I'm not sure jenny maybe you like at the start of this year's championship what what price were tyrone to win in all ireland like you know they really did come from very very far back in the field i suppose the only thing that takes from it is when we think of an underdog story we think of of, of them having to be you know a huge huge underdog in the final um whereas i suppose they probably weren't a massive underdog in the final but if you look at this year as a whole how many people would have given them a, a hope in hell of winning it at the start of the year and the same would have applied to, to mcginnis's Donegal team when when he took over initially it seems uh it seems straightforward now is how he achieved it but back then they would have been massive outsiders to pull off what they pulled off you know michael uh, a couple of GA ones, the Miracle of Mullen Yachta, when they went on to win Leinster, uh, beating Kilmacud, like the half parish beating, God, I don't know how many parishes Kilmacud is or how many teams they have, but they did an awful lot. Nicky Graham was obviously central to that. And then he was the man uh, at the helm when Cavan won Ulster last year. And just even that kind of miracle day when Cavan and Tip both won provincial crowns, uh, that was just unbelievable, especially everything around the anniversary of Bloody Sunday and Tip wearing the commemorative jerseys. And then just a snooker one, uh, Dennis Taylor beating Steve Davis in 85. Davis was absolute the king of snooker in the mid-80s. The mid uh, he was 7-0 up in the final. And then sometime well after 12 o'clock, uh, Taylor produced this unbelievable win and a black ball finish. They'd probably be some of mine. Claire 95 would be another one. And I know we talked about Leash winning in 2003, but Westmead winning in 04 under Pawdy as well. That, like they'd, they'd never won one and they haven't won one since. So... 
they'd definitely be big underdog stories. Marooned, that was a documentary, wasn't it, on, yeah, uh, on yeah, 2004? Brilliant. And Steve yeah. Davis, I was a Steve Davis obsessive as a six-year-old, and I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and parents told me that he lost. I was absolutely gutted. Uh, to Lance Taylor but then you, you realise then later on that he's an Irishman that won the world title um, just on Frankie de Toro, you were down in Bellystown Michael during the week uh, I, I love this story because uh, never meet your heroes is what they say but Frankie de Toro was a real hero he came over to Ireland he rode in the race in honour of Barney Curley he rode for a direct aid for Africa he won the race on Truba for Johnny Murta then he's in the phone box with the Trilby on the Yellow Sam phone box of that betting coup in 1975 taking selfies what, what a hero and what a connection with the people. That was fantastic. Oh, it was unbelievable, uh, John. It was great to be there. I just went for the main event. I'd be a massive Barney Curley fan. I would have followed his, his gambles and all his various uh, schemes throughout, throughout his career. And we would have been involved in some of the gambles even when we were in college. Um, and he was amazing, a fascinating man. And he set up, obviously, Direct Aid for Africa in 1996. And Frankie's been out there to Zambia. And Jamie Spencer has been there and Johnny Murta. Uh, Tom Queeley, Shane Kelly, all these guys. It was great to see them coming over uh, on Thursday. But Frankie, Frankie was just an absolute star. He must have taken five or 6,000 selfies. He, he signed a couple of things for me. I was there with things to be signed. He signed programs and everything for everyone else. He was just, he's, he's over, I think he's 50. He was just flying around with a baseball cap on backwards, taking pictures with everyone. The absolute life and soul of the party. And just even on Bellewstown the other day, it was the first time um, post-pandemic I've seen you know, four to five thousand people just mingling. Uh, everybody just there, ha- really enjoying themselves. Uh, get people standing around the phone box, getting pictures. Loads of people from up around uh, Fermanagh and various counties close to there, to, close to where Barney was was born. Just remembering him, and it was a great day and the most fitting winner. I twenty, I twenty euro on the runner up, Misha. You didn't back, race, you but- didn't back Frankie's horse. What were you doing? No, no, I didn't. I've been following Mishar for a while. I didn't. I didn't think the fairy tale. Too clever by good. Too clever by good, Michael. But uh, I was glad. um, I was glad to see Frankie winning, and even just the the flying dismount in Bellewstown. You know, forty six years after the the Yellow Sam coup was landed, it was just. It was a a perfect day with a fairy tale ending, and and Frankie is just an unbelievable racing ambassador. And to say that he was in, just to say that even I was there when he was in Bellewstown for that winner on remembering his good friend Barney I'm just delighted to say that and it was just a, a real special sporting moment and all of a sudden you're going to see him tomorrow and he's going to be riding in the pre day after three on three days after Pitt and Town. so that's kind of that's kind of what sport can do that encapsulates the week I think in a nutshell Michael Verney thanks so much Michael Alison Miller Shane Keegan you're such great sports to share your time with us on Off the Ball on Saturday on the Saturday panel enjoy your rest of your weekend and we'll chat soon thanks Josh bye guys see you folks the Saturday panel on Off The Ball.